I see so many headlines, so many retweets, so many links on my timeline. There's so much news that I can't find time to read everything, but I know these are trying times. And it feels like every other day there's another major break, another front page article that screams in my face, things are not okay. And listen, this is church, I know I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to read these awful stories and I'm supposed to say, God's got this under control and go about my day. But I won't lie to you, I can't anymore. I read the news and I'm afraid. There's violence between spouses, there's not enough houses, the stock market is up and then the stock market's down some. There's political scandal. Another leader I looked up to, their churches in shambles after the story broke on how they couldn't handle them. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm starting to ramble. See, the news keeps changing. We keep rearranging ways to say things aren't going well, and then we put it on pages and wonder why we're scared and confused throughout the day. See, what I'm learning is we need something permanent. We need something that won't change every time we're on the internet. We need good news that's not dependent on policies or presidents. We need news that's bigger than our personal circumstance. We need a news that's true and that's honest and that's powerful. And I need news that can look me in the face and promise me it's gonna last. We need good news forever, for our future and our past. And for real, thank God, the gospel is actually that. See, the good news of Jesus is here, and that's fact. We have a headline to share. We have a story to tell. If we really receive it and believe it ourselves, we have the news. We should be ringing the bells. We should be shouting from rooftops. Don't keep this to yourself. We got to share this good news. Our world needs it for real. And if you don't believe me, please just ask yourself this. What do you need to get through the week? Do you need a hope, a light, a peace? Do you need permanent news? Because trust and believe we have the headline. God wrote it for us, for you and for me. And y'all, it's good news. And this news, his news, is exactly what our world needs. Amen. And that's what we're going to talk about today and this month. Good news of great joy. That's what we've been given in a world of bad news where we feel like, as he's talking about, it feels like we're getting hit over the head with another level of bad news every single day, every single week. In a world with that, we have hope beyond the headlines in good news of great joy. Good news of great joy for all people. And so this month, that's what we're going to be looking at is, is how was this good news of the birth of Christ proclaimed in all sorts of different ways, often angels, angels telling different people he's going to come. But today we're actually going to be looking into how this good news of great joy was actually told hundreds of years earlier through the prophets, through these ancient prophets speaking of this good news to come. That there is one that is coming that will bring everything right again. Everything that's broken will be restored. Everything dead and dying will be healed. That there is one to come that we are waiting for, longing for. And that is the birth 
of Jesus. And so we are, on this weekend also, we are thankful for it. We are filled with gratitude for it. And that, this uh, expression of good news of great joy comes from Luke 2. Luke 2.10 specifically, but let's look at Luke, Luke 2.8 through 11. It says, after Jesus' birth... This angel appears, and, and Luke 2, if you don't remember, Luke 2 is this classic kind of Christmas story, uh, the Linus passage, right, where you've got the Christmas story being told. It says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So it's good news. It's not just news, it's good news. It's not just good news of joy, it's good news of great joy. And it's, it's not just for these shepherds. It's not even just for the people of Israel or the people of Israel back then or just the Jewish people today. It's for everyone. Good news of great joy for all the people. I love that phrase. I think it's such a beautiful thing and it's what we have. And so we're going to hold tightly on to that. Good news of great joy for all the people. No matter what kind of bad news you feel like you're in the midst of. If that's the news of the headlines... If that's your own stuff, you know, crashing your bike or whatever. <laughs> if that's uh, whatever kind of stuff you've got going on in your life that can hit you, right? It can hit you in a way that's hard. That in the midst of that, we have good news of great joy for all people. As he said in that spoken word piece, it's permanent news. Permanent news that's for everyone. And so today we lit that hope candle. This hope candle on the, here the first Sunday of Advent that represents hope. And so we are waiting and longing for something, but we do that with hope. It's not an empty waiting. It's hopeful waiting. And we wait for, just like those people of Israel waited, we wait with hope. And interestingly enough, the, the good news that when you think of the good news, so the good news is the gospel. That's what good news, gospel means this good news that's being spoken. This good news of great joy is the gospel being proclaimed. And you might even think of, so the early church, right, in the book of Acts, of them going out and proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming that good news as people begin to believe in and follow Jesus. Well, it was, it was before that, and it was even Jesus as he proclaims the kingdom of God has come, and here he is, and He's the king, so when he comes, there's the kingdom, right? That's the kingdom of God. Here I am. The kingdom of God is, is Jesus himself, and it has now come as he proclaims that. But the kingdom of God, this good news of the gospel was proclaimed hundreds and hundreds of years before through these prophets of old. And I think that can be a reassuring thing for us as we consider these prophets spoke of the Messiah and how he would be born even. That we'll look at this Advent Christmas season. And we can be reassured because those prophecies were fulfilled. Those prophecies came true. But those prophets had this, this longing 
this longing for something to come, that's when they began to proclaim the good news, kind of laying the groundwork of what would come, that all of this that has been broken since the fall will be restored. All of this, this death and dying and pain and sin that we have in our world will be healed. It will be all set right again when the Messiah comes. And what we are also in the midst of ourselves is awaiting for what his second coming, the waiting for him to come again. So we are remembering in this season where we sort of symbolize the waiting that they were going through for the first coming of Christ. And then we are in the midst of waiting for his second arrival, okay? That second advent, so to speak. And so we're in the midst of that kind of longing and waiting. But it's good news. So what I want to do today is a little bit, um, it's, it's going to be like a little bit of a longer process in this. Don't worry, not too long, so don't be afraid. Okay, but like I want to read through some of these Old Testament prophecies. All right, I want us to look at some of these Old Testament prophecies next to then the New Testament fulfillment. And I want that to be reassuring to you and faith building for you. So let's go on this little bit of journey here and there. I'll go slow and here and there. I'll go fast. Uh, and uh, forgive me, but my, my one-armedness, I'm going to read all the Bible verses off printouts. All right? So I'm trying to simplify this for myself today. But check this out. The first one is that the virgin shall conceive a son. Isaiah 7, 14. So Isaiah writing hundreds of years prior, this prophet writes these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. All right, so hundreds of you are saying, this Messiah, this one you're waiting for to save you from your sins, to deliver you from your bondage, uh, all the other even ways that they're like hoping for all of this to happen where they're under this Roman oppression and they're hoping they'd be freed from that. All this they're saying, hey, it's going to be, there's going to be a virgin's going to have a kid. And they're like, wait, what? That's very familiar. Some of these concepts are familiar to us, especially if you're a lifelong Christian or you've been in this and you've, I mean, almost, honestly, anybody that's here in America now hearing all about Christmas every year, this seems like a normal thing. It's not. This can't happen. Okay, this can't happen. Uh, a virgin cannot conceive a child. And I'll let you all explain that if you need to. But uh, Matthew 1.21 is the fulfillment of this. She will bear a son. This is the angel saying, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, by the way, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So this came true. This happened. This thing they said would happen hundreds of years earlier did happen. And then this, this Messiah that they were waiting for would also be born in Bethlehem of Judea, which is in Micah fulfilled in Matthew. So in Micah, at the very beginning of this passage even, you'll see the beginning of it is the prophecy, the core of it. The rest of it, as we read through it, it will show you how this isn't just some person born in Bethlehem. It's God himself. It's speaking of divinity. So in Micah 5, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. I kind of like saying that word dramatically. Ephrathah. Uh, anyway, too little. It says, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. So that's the core of the prophecy, and then it keeps going. 
His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. That's God. Okay, from the days of eternity is only possible to be God. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. So that's what's spoken of in Micah hundreds of years earlier. And then as we know, Jesus then is born in Bethlehem, even though that's not where he lived. And so he had to travel there. Now after Jesus, Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Check this part. This part's super interesting, okay? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So all these scholars come, these like Bible scholars of the day come, and study the, the words of the prophecies, and they realize, oh, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for that's what was written by the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So in the same way that we have to look into these prophecies ourselves, and even scholars are looking into these prophecies to understand them. Because here's the deal. The prophets, some of these words that we're reading here and some of the other stuff, like, it's kind of confusing, right? It's like, it's, it's confusing reading. It's, it's challenging reading. It's then words that we don't normally, it's ways that we don't normally speak these days. And even then, I think it was kind of similar, actually, because Herod's like, I don't know, maybe we should gather all the, the scholars to come look at it and find out, find out where. Like, I don't know if they hadn't all, they didn't just have this on the tip of their tongue, but they go and they study this and they say, oh, it's right there. It's in Bethlehem. Now, Herod uses that for bad reasons, okay, he's going to go and try and kill all the kids so that he can kill uh, this Messiah, Jesus, to come. So we have a couple of these things happening, right, that, that um, we see here. He was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. And then the next one says, out of Egypt I called my son. Now we know that Jesus came, had to come out of Egypt as well. Hosea 11.1 1 is this prophecy. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And then in Matthew 2, we see it fulfilled. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night, and left for Egypt because Herod was trying to kill them. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So Jesus' family moves then out of Egypt, comes back, but they don't just go back to Bethlehem. They go to Nazareth because he would be a Nazarene and from the line of Jesse are some other prophecies. Now this one, as we go through it, I'll admit, this one's a little more vague and a little more challenging. Now, parts of it. Isaiah 11, check this out. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Some say stump, this like root, stem, stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father, okay? Jesse is the father of King David, and that's the line that then goes through to Jesus. So a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength. This branch is the Messiah to come. The spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked." Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And then another Old Testament prophecy that's kind of in line with this, as we're going to talk about Nazareth, is Isaiah 53, 2 through 3. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Okay, so all that now, let's read Matthew and then I'm going to kind of explain this a little bit. Matthew 2 is where you see some fulfillment of this. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. So this is Joseph with his family. And he came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, a couple things here. We didn't read, he shall be called a Nazarene in those Pro, that, those prophecies that we had just read, okay? Now, interestingly enough, that phrase is not in one of the Old Testament prophecies that we have, that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, one thing you should know is there's more writing that took place in the world other than what we have in the Bible, <laughs> right? Like, that's like basically like an understanding that we would have. I even think it's cool. Like, I'm just my normal, like in my daily reading, I've been reading in First Kings, and it'll tell a little bit about a king, and it'll be like, and much more was written about in this other book. And we're like, oh, where's that book? You know, I want to be able to see all that much more writing, and we don't actually have those writings, but they're things that, that happened. And so there's other prophets and other prophecies that we might have that we don't have access to where it said, he shall be called a Nazarene. But interestingly enough, so this word branch, so there's this root or stump of Jesse, right? The stem of Jesse, who's David's dad, King David's dad. And it goes then from, from Jesse to David to Solomon and then down this line. So this line of David, who's a part of the tribe of Judah, continues. And you can read about that in Matthew 1 of this genealogy of Jesus that then leads you all the way to Jesus himself. And a common way of referring to the Messiah when they were in these Old Testament days waiting for that Messiah was talking about the branch. They would speak of it as when the branch comes. So this, this branch that would come. Now, interestingly, that word branch or that word stump is netzer, which is like, so like these scholars look at this, netzer, it's the same letters because it's like, this is all very technical, okay? But these same letters that are of just basically the word Nazareth. It's the same thing. It's the same word. The branch and Nazareth is the same thing. And so he would be coming from Nazareth. And then the way they would talk about people from Nazareth is no good thing can come from Nazareth. Nazareth is where people are that aren't, aren't great. Okay, we don't like people from Nazareth, they would say. And that's how he would speak of it. People, they were despised and forsaken of men. 
So it's kind of an interesting one. I'm kind of like, I admittedly, it's a little more vague than the other ones. I'm going to be honest about that. But it's an intriguing one as well. And we know that he was from there. Now, it's also the root of the branch of David, as we've been talking about. Jeremiah 33 talks about this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I've spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he'll execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And let's skip forward then to Luke 1, 32. Remembering hundreds of years earlier that was spoken about it. He will be from that, that root from the branch of David will spring forth. And then we see he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Is in Luke 1 as Jesus is born. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, his ancestor David. All these being spoken of hundreds of years earlier end up coming true. Isaiah 9, 6 just speaks of the birth of the Messiah. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So for hundreds and hundreds of years... Prophecy, like way earlier, these prophecies are spoken of Jesus. That he will be born of a virgin. That he will be born in Bethlehem. That he'll be from Nazareth. That he'll be from the line of David and Jesse. And there's many more that we haven't looked at today. There's prophecies not just of his birth. That's what we're looking at here. But prophecies of Palm Sunday where he comes. It says in Zechariah 9, he'll be riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? In, in Isaiah 53, it also speaks of his death that he will be pierced for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed, speaking of the way that he was killed. And so we have prophecies of his birth and of his death and of the future. And what we can know is that God delivers on his promises. We can be assured of that. That God will be the one that, that his promises will be fulfilled. And I hope that that can build your faith. And we look at all these weird passages and all these hard to read things and look into them and, and see the way that God worked. I really hope for that to build your faith and to reassure you that all of this stuff is true. That also, not just that it's true of what we believe, but it's also true of what will come. That God delivers on his promises, but it's in his own timing. It's in his own timing. The crazy thing is you think about these prophets. These prophets, none of them, not one of them that, that spoke these prophecies and they were written down and carried on. Not one of them saw them fulfilled. But they were still fulfilled. But they weren't in those guys' timing, right? They were in God's timing. And that's a hard thing for us. Interestingly, these prophets too, their job, oops, sorry, these, their job normally their job is to give bad news most of the time, okay? These prophets, they would come in and they'd have to speak these words of judgment and condemnation against the kings of Israel typically. And they'd have to come in and say, all right, hey, because of what you've done, you're going to be overthrown or you're going to be killed. And that wasn't a really popular message. The kings didn't like that. They weren't treated super well. Prophets had to do some weird things. I was even just reading um, yesterday about how one prophet was like, went up to this guy and was like, punch me in the face. 
And he gets, the, the guy's like, no, I'm not doing that. That guy gets struck down because he won't do what God had said. And then he goes up to another guy. He's like, punch me in the face. The guy's like, fine, punches him in the face. And then he's like, goes up to the king all bloody and stuff. And it's like, this is what will happen to you, O king. You know, that's not an awesome job. <laughs> that's not his job. And you think about Elijah going to King Ahab, who was one of the worst kings ever, did evil things. His wife is Jezebel, which is basically a word we use for bad people, right? And and so you think of uh, this guy, all the stuff that he was doing, and Elijah has to come and call him out on all the stuff. And then he has to run for his life because Ahab just wanted to kill him. And he just wants to kill him over and over and just trying to kill him. And then eventually Ahab does even more bad stuff and Elijah has to call him out. But then Ahab gets, gets repentant. And God's like, oh, I like that. Let's forgive him. You know, let's like not let him die for a while. And like, it's just, I'm sure like Elijah's like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? What am, I, what am I doing? Right? And so these guys had a hard job delivering bad news over and over and over again. Bad news, bad news, bad news. But then they got to have a glimpse of doing some good news to show you a little bit of Jesus. Show you a little bit about what this Messiah to come will be like. Wonderful counselor. Prince of Peace. That's what's to come. That's what you can be hoping for. So they were proclaiming the good news of Jesus hundreds of years before he even came. And then they also, what's well, interesting, so they had, they had like a, a job to say bad, like <laughs> bad news in the now. They would tell these kings these prophetic words of judgment. They would speak of the Messiah to come, these sort of predictive prophecies of this Messiah to come, but then other prophets were also giving you a glimpse into the second coming of Jesus and what will happen then in the end of days, at the end times. And so they're speaking of all of this that's to come. Now, but again, all of them had to wait. None of them got to see that fulfillment even in their own timeline. And that's what is hard sometimes for us. Abraham and Sarah were promised by God that they would have a child. They had to wait 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. That wasn't their timeline. It's crazy hard sometimes. So we, we, that's where faith comes into this. And that's where we can be assured of our faith by seeing God deliver on his promises, even if it was hundreds of years later. And so I'm, that's my prayer for you is to be assured of that. And during this Advent season, what we do is we join in with the prophets in our longing for what's to come. So we join in with the people of Israel, these prophets that spoke these words, and we join in with them in that kind of waiting, that kind of waiting for the arrival, because we are longing for that second coming of Jesus. We can be, we should be reassured and built up in the good news of great joy of Jesus' birth, and then we're also longing for him to come again. And there's a bit of this, what this, we call this is, is this now, not yet. You might have heard like theologians or pastors or whatever use this expression of now, not yet. Because what we have is there's this sense of the kingdom of God is now. Jesus is like, hey, here I am. Like, like I said, the kingdom of God is a person. The kingdom of God is Jesus, the king. When the king's here, that's the kingdom of God has arrived. And so Jesus is like, here I am. But there's also, I, there's also something more. There's something better to come. So we have Jesus, and Jesus has died and rose again, and we have all of that being fulfilled. But we're also still longing for more that day when 
there will no longer be crying or pain or suffering. We'll be in the new heaven and new earth, living this ultimately fulfilled life with being in the very physical presence of God and just walking with him. And it'll be so amazing, right? We have this longing for that. But we also know that we have things now. In the midst of this longing, we have the very spirit of God dwells within us and we live in that power we have his presence dwelling inside of us. While we're still longing for more, we have the very presence of God dwelling inside of us. Like, that's an incredible thing. And so we should be assured of that. But we have this longing. And so in this season, we join in with that longing. We join in with that hope where we have this suffering that we do still have now in our world. We long for that to be completely healed and restored. And that's what God will do. God will do it. And he has. He's already, he's already paid for it. He's already won the victory. And we're waiting for it to then be ultimately fulfilled. And so when we think about hope, I want you to think about where you place your hope. Do you place your hope in your bank account, in your retirement account? Do you place your hope even in your family or your spouse or your friends? Do you place your hope in your job? Do you place your hope in the things of this world? Do you place your hope in your health? All of that can, can fail. All of that will fail. Our hope needs to be in Christ. In Christ and in Christ alone. And so I encourage you to kind of just let yourself dig into that longing that you have for more. That longing that you have for more both in the future and in the now that we live in. That God will meet you in the midst of that. So sort of join in with the prophets in that, that longing for more to come. And then finally, this good news of great joy that we're talking about for all people. Okay. All people. Good news of great joy for all people. This isn't just good advice. This isn't just good advice to follow. This is a good savior to believe in. Okay? I want you to understand this. This Christian life is not about a better life plan. Okay? This isn't how to have a more successful life journey. This isn't like tips and techniques for how to be a successful and moral person. It has to be so much more than that. This is complete and total surrender to the God of the universe who is both your Lord and your Savior. And he, you have to be fully submitted to him. The, the good news of great joy is not about some suggestions. It's about a fact and an event that happened. This happened. That's the good news of great joy. God himself moved into the neighborhood. God himself moved into our everyday life and he lived with us and knew what it was like to be one of us. He lived in poverty and vulnerability and suffering. He knew it all and he lived a perfect life in the midst of that. And then he died upon the cross willingly to take the sins of the world upon himself away from you, away from me. And then he rose again on the third day in victory and power over that death. That death had no power over him. And that is the good news. It's good news of great joy for all people. Amen. Amen. Because here's the thing. Jesus... When we think about prophets, Jesus is and was a prophet. 
Now, a lot of people in other religions will say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus was a good prophet, right? That whole thing. He's a good teacher, a good prophet, got some good things he did and said, but not God. That's taking it a step too far. I, I don't want to have to submit to him. I don't want to have to have him tell me how to live my life. I don't think he's actually God. So that whole good prophet thing, if you really think that, if Jesus was a good prophet, well, then the things he prophesied about should come true, right? The things he prophesied about should be looked into. Well, Jesus said things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God, no one comes to the Father except through me. Whoa, okay, well that feels a little exclusive, right? That feels a little strong worded, but that's what he said. That's what he prophesied. He said, I and the Father are one. God and I are the same. He took an Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah 61, and we read about it in Luke 4. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to, bring, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring good news to the poor, to make the blind see, to, bring the, to make the oppressed free, that the time of God's favor has come. And he said, you've seen this prophecy fulfilled in my coming. I, like, like the, all these words that you've been reading, it's me. God says, it's me, Jesus said. All of this is about me. The one you've been waiting for is me. Do you believe it? And so I ask you, is Jesus the one that you've been waiting for? Is Jesus the one that your hope is in. As we respond to this, is your hope completely in Jesus and his promises in this season? So as we move towards Christmas, as we celebrate with all the gifts and trees and lights, which I am fully in favor of, okay? <laughs> as we celebrate all of that stuff, with all that stuff, don't let it distract you from the core, the core message. Is Jesus the one you've been waiting for? Jesus was the one the people of Israel were waiting for. All of those prophecies were, were fulfilled in his presence. The kingdom of God is here because Jesus the king is here. Is he your king as well as your savior? It's for you to process today and to respond to him in. And it's also for all of us to be processing through this month. We're going to have prayer points available as we worship. We're going to sing them a couple more songs. We'll have these prayer points available. If you want to pray about this stuff that we've been talking about, or just anything going on in your life, this could also be a really hard time. These holiday seasons are hard. If you want prayer for any of that, we'd love to pray with you and just be there for you. So come on. Come on forward and, and let's pray together um, as we sing, as we worship Jesus, our King. Let's pray. God, thank you for these prophecies. Thank you for the good news of them being proclaimed hundreds and hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. And thank you that they were fulfilled in your birth, Jesus, in your life, in your death, and in your resurrection. We look to all of it. And so, God, I pray that for each person here, I pray your Holy Spirit would be moving in their hearts and in their minds, God, right now. I pray for any that don't, know you, Lord, that have not placed their hope, their trust completely in you, God. 
I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would prompt them to respond to you today. To begin a life of following you. Of following who you say you are. The way, the truth, the life. The way to God. God himself. God with us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.